we are finishing up our Dangerous Prayers message series. And I am so excited to tell you about my message. But before I do, I want to just show you a cute little girl by the name of Eden. Eden is my three-year-old daughter. And Eden and my son Micah have started uh, little gymnastics and tumbling classes just to have some fun and get their energy out. And they're so cute. We're not competing. We're just having them go and have fun. Well, they go and they do somersaults and they vault themselves onto whatever they're supposed to be vaulting themselves onto. I know nothing about gymnastics, so sorry if I'm messing up the lingo. But I do know what this is, at least. And uh, this is the balance beam. And I love what you can't probably see from your chairs is that Eden has her little tongue sticking out in both of her pictures. And the reason is that Eden is focusing on the beam. She is focusing on trying to put one foot in front of the other. And so her tongue is sticking out, kind of showing that focus. Because she has one vision, one hope, one focus is to get to the end of the beam. And what I love about this, you probably can't see, but in the back behind this picture of Eden, there's, there's people sitting and I can watch them uh, as they are tumbling and doing their exercises. And I was sitting there watching Eden on the beam and I kept thinking to myself, this is a beautiful picture of what our faith in Christ should look like. That we ought to live our life on the beam as well. You see, we should have one focus, one mission, one hope, that our vision should be on God and on nothing else. And so we would have to put our feet right in front of each other because the way is narrow and yet it's worth it when we get to the end. And we ought to live life like my daughter is on top of the beam. But the problem is we don't always do that, do we? You know, if Eden were to have a misstep and she would fall, the mats would catch her. It'd be a soft landing. It's not the same when we fall off the beam and following Jesus. One misstep hurts our relationship with God, hurts our relationship with each other. And I'm going to tell you in a little while how one misstep can hurt our relationship with those who are watching our lives from afar, wondering if this Christian thing is true. Uh, David, he is uh, King David, one of the most amazing kings ever in Israel's history. He wrote in his journal, and he oftentimes would write about how hard life is. And that's why I really love his journal entries, which got turned into a book of the Bible called the Psalms, because I can really relate with him. And in the midst of writing these psalms, in Psalm 86, we see that David is in pain. He's struggling. He's hurting. And we find out one of the reasons why he is hurting is because there are people after him that want to kill him. I imagine if you and I woke up in the morning knowing people were at our door trying to murder us, we would too be hurting and in pain. And here's the interesting thing about Psalm 86. As David is writing this down, he continues to put his trust in God. All throughout the pain, he puts his hope in his heavenly father. It's as if, God, it's as if David's saying, God, 
even if things in here aren't going well, and even if things out here aren't going well, if we're good, life is good. Wouldn't it be nice to live that way? If some things that we're struggling with internally, whether that's emotions or some spiritual things or mental things, or outwardly we're dealing with the the potential loss of a father or the potential uh, loss of somebody else or relationships are struggling or our bank accounts aren't where they should be. If, If we are okay, wouldn't it be nice to know that life is okay? I want to pattern my life off of David, and I hope you would as well. And through Psalm 86, we can see how to do that. But in the middle of Psalm 86 is the key or the solution to how we live this life on the beam. And here's what David prays, and it's a very, very dangerous prayer. In the midst of his situation, he says, Give me an undivided heart. Let me live life on the beam. One focus, one mission, one hope. Looking at God with my life. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this verse. He says, give me one heart. For too often I feel a heart and a heart. Two natures contending, two principles struggling for sovereignty. I love what Charles Spurgeon says here. Because you know what often happens in our life? We live with a divided heart. Or we live literally like, like Charles Spurgeon says here, with two hearts. And they're at war with each other. And they're competing for the top spot in our lives. Or like Spurgeon says, competing for sovereignty. Let me illustrate this for you for a moment. There are three things that compete for our hearts outside of God. Ourselves, somebody else, and something else. Let me show you how this works. If you are here and you're a Christ follower, and you would say, I love Jesus. He is my everything. I go to church. I read the Bible. I pray. I'm in a circle. I give. I spend time every day in chair time. I mean, my life revolves around Jesus. If that is you, you would say ultimately, yes, I'm a Christ follower. I want to live life on the beam. I want to live life with one heart that's undivided. But what happens when we live for Jesus, but we also want to live for ourselves? What happens when we say we love Jesus, but when we look at our lives, oftentimes it shows that we love ourselves just as much as we love Jesus. And how that comes out is if we're wronged, instead of forgiving like Jesus would, we go after that person or hold a grudge. Or when it comes to our finances, we want to love Jesus with them, but then we also want to have the final say in how we spend our money. See how that works? When we make God important, but something else just as important or like a God-like figure in our lives, we live with a divided life. Or maybe you love God, but you have to have the approval of somebody else, whether it's a spouse or a wannabe spouse or a boss or a friend or something else. What you're saying is, Jesus, all I need is your approval, but I also need someone else's approval as well. Both have occupied a God-like position in our lives. Or, hey, God, I I love you, but I also want other people to love me just the same. 
And so we will sell out to other people in order to win their approval or we sell out to them and we become somebody else because we want them to like us. You see how oftentimes we live divided and we don't even know it? I'll give you more concrete, practical examples in a while. But someone who I just look up to who lives this kind of divided life is the Apostle Paul. In a familiar passage in Romans chapter 7, he talks about this inward struggle of living with two hearts. Now, I looked at some of the translations of this passage, and I love each one of them, but the message paraphrase, which is not a translation, but a paraphrase of putting the Bible in modern language that we would really understand, really captures what Paul is trying to say here. And I think it'll give you just a preview of what a divided heart looks like. So here's what he says. He goes, yes, I'm full of myself. Amen? Anyone else full of themselves? Okay, four of you. Interesting. (laughs) Every day you wake up, who's the first person you think about? You're full of yourself. (laughs) And here's why. We spent a long time in sin's prison. And he says, because I'm full of myself, I I, want to live for God, but I also want to live for my own purposes, my own ways, and they're conflicting. What I don't understand about myself is I decide one way. God, I want to live for you. I want to live life on the beam. But then I act a different way, doing things I absolutely despise. For if I know the law, but I can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions... I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. See, I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. And I decide not to do bad, but there it is. I do it anyways. I love how Paul summarizes this. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. And here's the key. Since the moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. I want to live my whole life for God. However, it's obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. I want to live life on the beam, but I also want to jump off and live my, my life my way. I want to live life on the beam in my relationships, but I also want the approval of somebody else. I want to live life on the beam and, and live my whole life for him, but something else is pulling me down. The divided life. And it is doing damage inwardly and outwardly more than you and I can even imagine. So for the next little while, I want to look at the evidence of a divided heart. And I want to sit down with you over these next few moments because there's always the risk of when I'm teaching, it can look like I'm teaching at you. But I want you to know I have put myself through the ringer with a few of these and it has really opened my eyes to how I've lived my, my own life with a divided life. So what I want us to do for the next few moments is this. First of all, I don't want any of us to see something on the screen and the first thing we think of is, oh, my spouse, or oh, my friend, or oh, Eric. Because <laughs> oftentimes when we do that, that is automatically the evidence of a divided life because we always want to blame other people 
and thumb other people down and judge other people. And we rarely put ourselves through the same thing. So it's time. If you want to live on the beam, if you want to live an undivided life, it's time to start looking at the facts right before us. The second thing I want to tell you is I'm going to put a controversial statement on the screen, and we're going to walk through that this morning. And for some of us, you are going to be very angry at me. I want you to know, if you throw something at me, you don't get it back. I'm just letting you know that. It's like school. You throw it, it's mine. And the second thing is, if you get angry, like really angry, I want you to trace all that down to the bottom and ask yourself why. Why am I so angry? And oftentimes, whatever produces inordinate anger in our lives is the very thing that's knocked us off the beam. So pay attention to it. And I will tell you when it's coming, all right? So let's begin. You're going to see a white phrase that represents an undivided life, and then you'll see a yellow phrase that, div- that signifies a divided life, all right? So when it comes to our lives, if we're living on the beam, if we're living an undivided way, we trust God's ways, even if they are not my ways, especially when I'm going through pain. Because I know God will not waste my pain somehow, some way. Pain is one of those things that will keep you on the beam or it'll completely knock you off. And the only way that we can stay on the beam when we're going through pain and suffering is to know at the end of that walk, however long it is, however narrow it is, God won't waste it that it's worth it, that all the valleys that you've gone through are part of the journey that God has you on. Now, there's some pain that you and I are going through that's inflicted by other people. Let me tell you, God doesn't want that to happen. (laughs) That's selfishness. That's somebody else falling off their own beam trying to take you down, okay? God's not causing that. But there are things in our lives that we sit back and we're like, God, you could change this right now if you wanted to my diagnosis, the prognosis, whatever it is, you could do something about that, and you're not. Why? And when we live life on the beam, we know, okay, God, you're not going to waste this. And oftentimes what pain does is it teaches something about God that we can't know when we're not going through pain. There are times when I'm so down and I'm struggling so badly, and when I look up to God and I see what he's doing in this, it makes me trust him more than I ever have in my life. For some of you, you're on a trust walk right now that I'm hoping will lead you into a deeper reality of God's grace and his goodness. And some of the things that you've gone through, which I can't imagine, some of your heartache, you are going to understand what it means to walk in other people's shoes when it comes to that. And so when people like me give false platitudes like everything's going to be okay, I'm praying for you, you literally can grab somebody and say, let's talk. I know what you're going through and I want to help you. That's a living life on the beam when it comes to pain, thinking of pain in that way. But oftentimes, if we're honest, we fall off the beam. We can't trust God's ways because they oftentimes don't line up with my ways, especially when God allows me to go through pain. And because of that, I will either avoid it or I'll take matters in my own hands. If you're like me and you fall off the beam when it comes to pain, you numb the pain by going to something else. 
And that something else helps for about 10 seconds. And when that thing will not numb the pain anymore, you're left with the pain not changing, but now you're dealing with another kind of pain, which oftentimes leads to addiction. And addictions can look very differently for many people. Oftentimes we think, well, drugs and alcohol, that is two of ten I could rattle off right now that oftentimes happens when we forget about God in the midst of our pain and we try to go to something else. So if you go to something else instead of God in the midst of your pain, it's evidence that we're probably living with a divided heart. Okay? Here comes the one that you're going to loosen your shoes up for in a moment. Politics. Oh, yeah. We're going there. Some of you just woke up from your nap. John Wesley, he was a circuit preacher uh, many, 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 many years ago. How do we know when he was around? Well, when he went around, he didn't go by car. He went by horse, okay? And part of his message was to talk about politics. And he gave three different ways we ought to approach politics as a Christ follower for those who would say, my life is undivided and I'm living on the beam. Here's what he says. We ought to approach politics in this way. We vote for the person we, we, we judge most worthy. We speak no evil of the person that voted on the other side. And we take care that our spirits are not sharpened against those that voted on the other side as well. If you are living the beam life, with one focus and one mission, to live our lives for God and God alone, then this is how we as Christ followers ought to approach politics. Christ followers, many of us have fallen off the beam. I don't understand. Maybe you can help me. I don't understand why we as Christ followers have so much hate for the other side. If you're a Republican, you hate the Democratic side. If you call yourself a Democrat, you hate the Republican side. What in the world has happened to what Jesus says his followers will be known for? Jesus doesn't say his followers will be known for their political party affiliation. Nor does he say, my Christ followers, my followers will be known for those who are really good at creating memes or creating different articles and then coming up with ways while the other side is wrong. Jesus says they will know us by our love. Where is it? Where is the love? And you may say, oh, Eric, you have no idea what the other side is doing. Do you know what happened when Jesus came to the other side? Instead of going up and putting their, his finger in their face, instead of going around and saying, do you know how much you're damaging my, uh, my God's name? You know what he did? He died for them. He served them. He loved them unconditionally. Christ followers, what is our problems that we can't do that for those on the other side? Here's the problem. We think our president, whether it's Clinton or Bush or Obama or Trump, you like how I did that? 
Oh, yeah. We think that person is in control. Have we forgotten that we are part of a bigger kingdom where our king, Jesus, is the ruler and not our president and not our government? When we live with a divided life, we forget about that. And so we equate God with our government. Or we put the government ahead of God and we put more trust in government than we do that God is in control. And then we act out accordingly. And so instead of dying for the other side and serving the other side, we spit on the other side, just like Jesus' enemies spit on him. How dare we call ourselves Christ followers and treat other people the way we're treating them? I don't care what you believe. You can vote Democrat, you can vote Republican, but how about we act like Christians? Because there are so many people, so many people that didn't grow up in the church, so many people that are my age and younger who won't step foot in the church because of how we as Christ followers, not what we believe, but how we live out that belief because they think we're a bunch of hateful people. How Jesus must have tears rolling down his face when he says, they will know you by your love for them, especially those who disagree with you. So we live a divided life. We align with a party and not a person. The person, Jesus. And so when we align with a party, we have to vote that party, even though that person may not line up with our Christian values. Democrat or Republican. And we speak evil of the opposing party on social media. So for a Republican, we go after the Democrats. For a Democrat, we go after the Republicans. And it's disgusting. I don't care what the other side says. I care what our side says as Christ followers. I'm trying to sit down. I can't. Sorry. <laughs> and then we cause relationships to be fractured with those that vote on the other side. My aunt and uncle, they're on a cruise. My other aunt and uncle, my aunts are best friends. They can't talk about politics because there's going to cause a rift in our family. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We can't talk about something like that because it's going to cause a rift in our family and how it causes rifts in our society. And Christians, guess what? We're at the front lines of it. You know what would be nice? If we walked into our voting booth and we voted and we left and we still believe what we want to believe and we can defend it, but we defend it with love and grace because we were once on the other side of God's wrath and now we are in God's grace and we are supposed to show the same to other people. Can we start acting like Christians when it comes to these things? Am I wrong? If I am, I'll be standing right here afterwards. Because you want to know how I vote? You don't, do you? I'm going to keep it that way. <laughs> but I promise you, when I vote, I'm going to come out, I'm going to act like Jesus. I'll vote like Jesus, and I'm going to act like Jesus. I hope you will as well. My words, I recognize the power of my words, and because of that, I care about others, and I avoid gossiping and talking badly about people, no matter if I like the person or not. When we live life on the beam, we recognize that our words carry weight, and oftentimes we throw around different words depending on if the person is there or not. 
Isn't it funny that if the person was standing here, we wouldn't say a tenth of what we say behind their backs. And as Christ followers, you know what we're called to do? We're called to call it out and end it at that point. We don't throw fuel to the fire. If someone gossips about something, even if we don't like them, we say, you know what, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk badly about that person. Because I value them because God values them. But when we, when we jump on the other side, when we live a divided life, we recognize the power of my words. And because I care about myself, I'm living two different hearts. I gossip and I talk badly about the person, no matter if I like the person or not. I see too many Christ followers, including me, who just throws fuel to the fire. We gossip about that person. And the reason we do that is because we're really insecure, because we would rather talk badly about them because we don't really like ourselves and it makes us feel better. If we just live our, with our eyes on God, we don't have to do that. We know where our worth comes from. When I'm wrong, I'm the first person to admit when I'm wrong. And I apologize and I ask for forgiveness because I care more about the relationship than being right. We know we are living life on the beam. When our eyes are only on God, when, when we do something wrong, we're quick to ask for forgiveness, whether it's a little thing or a really big thing. And the reason we do that is because we care more about that person than we care about ourselves. So we live with an undivided heart. But when we live with a divided heart, we have a really hard time admitting we're wrong because it's usually never my fault. I should have put that in quotes. And if I do apologize, it's because the other person apologized first. There are so many times in my marriage when I am wrong. And I can admit I am wrong way more than Paula is. Last night, we put kids into different bedrooms and we're texting, and she said something that hurt my feelings. But she was right. And instead of just saying, I apologize to you, I literally wrote back, what in the world are you talking about? And it hurt our relationship. Because I cared more about justification in that moment than I did about serving and loving my wife and actually hearing what she has to say. Some of us need to start apologizing some more. And if you have a hard time apologizing because you always have to be right, I promise you, your eyes are on yourself more than they are on God. I can listen to others more than I can speak because I know I can learn from them regardless of who they are, whether it's a child or someone that I don't like or someone that doesn't add value to my life. I can listen to them because I know I don't know everything. I'm not God, and I need to learn from them. But when you live a divided life, we speak a lot, we interrupt a lot, we're distracted a lot, and we hear people, but we don't listen. The reason why we hear people is because we're so busy crafting our response that we don't really listen to hear what they say. I can't tell you how many times where I'm literally, as Paula's talking to me, I'm ready, I'm loading my gun to shoot back. <laughs> And we start going back and forth. And then finally, after it all settles down, I said, she'll say, Eric, I said this. I said, when did you say that? She said, that's what I said at the beginning. I was so busy caring more about me than I am her that I was ready to fight back. I didn't want to listen. I wanted to say what I wanted to say. If you have a bad listening habit, I can promise you, you care more about yourself than you do other people. And then finally, my self-worth is grounded in my relationship with Jesus because I know Jesus says, I am his masterpiece. 
When you know you're God's masterpiece, you can live with a sense of contentment and peace. Are you content and peaceful here? When circumstances don't go your way, when people don't like you, when you don't have what you want, are you still at peace? If you aren't, you're living with a divided heart. Because my self-worth is determined usually by the mere approval of others, what I have or what I do. It's why we post everything on social media. And because of this, I am often restless and I have an insatiable desire for more. When we wake up every single day, life off the beam, we fill our cup, so to speak, with all of these different things, thinking they're going to satisfy. But we have forgotten to look at the bottom because at the bottom of that cup is a hole. And we put all these things and our self-worth determined by the mirror, what other people say, how, what we do or what we have. At the end of the day, we go to bed and we sleep. We go to sleep and we think, is this all that life is all about? We're empty. Then we do it again and again and again and again. But what Jesus comes along and he literally doesn't just fill the hole. He gives us a new cup. And when we fill ourselves with him, not only do we get to the top, it overflows and it impacts other people's lives. If our lives aren't impacting other people's lives, it's not overflowing, we're probably living with a divided heart. So what do we do about it? If it's true that we oftentimes have a divided heart, is there a solution? And the answer, thankfully, this morning is yes. When we go back to the verses, we see the solution. Here's what David prays. God, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. And then again, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. What David is saying is, listen, I need you to teach me your way constantly because I find myself on a different path. And I need you to give me an undivided heart because oftentimes my life and my heart is divided. And when I'm off your path, God, I don't get to see how faithful you really are. And when I live with a divided heart, I'm not living with a sense of fear or awe of who you are. I need you to give me that. When's the last time you recognized that you had a divided heart and instead of justifying it or just saying it's who you are, you ran back to God and begged him for another chance to take your hand and put you back on the right path, to give you an undivided heart. He wants to. Sometimes we blame God for all of our problems, and yet we forget to look at our own hearts. And when our hearts are divided, how dare we say it's God's fault? Maybe it's ours. Paul, he literally says, I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. There's some of you here spiritually that are at the end of your rope. The reason you're at the end of your rope isn't because God hasn't shown up. The reason is because we've lived such a divided life, we can't see him anymore. That we've chosen our own path, that God is here and you're over here. How in the world is God supposed to be over here when you don't even want to see him? He has a way, he has a path. It comes with an undivided heart. Will, are we willing to have that? And you may say, no, it's too hard. Paul says the same thing, but he has an answer. <laughs> the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. And I love this. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. If you have a life of contradictions where you want to follow God's way, but you don't, and you want to live with an undivided heart, but you don't have it, welcome to the club. David's in it, Paul's in it, and I'm the president. 
But then Paul says, what do you do with it? You run back to Jesus. His grace is bigger than your divided heart. Over and over and over again. Going back to this picture of my daughter. Now I think she's on the high beam, am I right? I'm trying to learn all this language. And her tongue's still sticking out, of course. But there she is. And the reason the instructor's there is because she can't do this by herself. The instructor is there and is guiding her along the way and holds her hand. God is right next to you wanting to hold your hand to guide you along his way. And if you fall off the beam, our God is so gracious that he will steep down and get you out of the pit that you're in and bring you back. How do I know that? Because Jesus left heaven to come get us here. And if he was willing to do that, he will absolutely take our individual lives and put it back on the beam. You gotta run back to him. Take his hand. Because he is worthy enough and gracious enough to take yours back, even though you've been doing this for so long. You can't do it. Do it his way. And the results are beautiful. This next verse, David says, when I have this undivided heart, I can praise you, Lord, with all of my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. I love this word, praise you with all of my heart. He's literally saying, when I live with an undivided heart, I will praise you. The word praise literally means when I'm going through life, I can see God's fingerprints on all of it, and I will thank him for it, even when we are going through pain. We should be able to thank God for the gift of pain And the only way we can do that, the only way we can praise him is that we see him the way he wants to be seen and that comes with living with an undivided heart, knowing he's with us. And then when we live with a life that sees him in all of our life, we can live to glorify his name. To glorify God simply means that when people interact with us, it doesn't stop with us It starts with us pointing our lives back up to him. Which that means, if I'm having a political conversation with a non-Christ follower and they are on the other side of my beliefs, they should walk away thinking that guy gave me a whole new picture of God and it's positive. Could you imagine what would happen in our country if non-Christians could have relationships with Christians on the other side of the political line and they walked away wanting to know more about your God. That's what's supposed to happen. When people interact with you and they receive your words, it should point back to a God who has all good things to say about them. Or when we're in relationships, my wife should interact with me and have a better view of her, of, of, of her heavenly father's love for her through my love for her. It will happen with an undivided heart. We're starting a new message series next week called Colossians, Discovering New Life. Where we're going to tear apart the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And as you leave, on the back of this is really cool. We've gone through and are showing you exactly what we're going to be teaching from. So like week one, this next week, if you read Colossians 1, when, when Joe Binkley teaches next week, you will be able to know what he's teaching about. And we're going to do that all five weeks. 
And at the bottom, we, we came up with a memory uh, verse, two verses in Colossians that we want all of us to memorize over these next five weeks. And I want to end our time with just reading them to you this morning. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus.